There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The best things in life are free. And give them to the birds and bees. I want money. About you this week, uh, you were thinking about me. I looked at, uh-huh. I, I looked at, especially when I, when I saw the thing about the video games. You know, it, it triggered a memory uh, of Elon Musk. Oh. Likewise, obsessed with video games. Does he? Obs- Is he obsessed, yeah. obsessed with fantasy games? Oh. You know, a fellow who, you know, different sort of sociopath than than um, you know, whose whose most recent child is called Technus Mechanicus. And this fantasy world that these people live in and where we, we then sort of, and I think it's a particularly American thing where he's saying, you know, just speak whispers about them because, you know, he's a genius and he's sort of, you know, and a visionary. And, and it's a very, it's a very, I thought when I looked at the parallels between him, I mean, here's, here's him. Musk is a spacey, lonely outsider who is bright. But has great difficulty making friends. He disappears into video games and science fiction and dreams of horizons far beyond his life. And that's this, you know, let's go to Mars. It's almost, it's, a, it's the equivalent of the horde dragon. Yeah, yep, yep, that's true. And it, it's a, it's a, it must have been an interesting collision. You know, I can just picture you in the corner of the room trying not to... You know, I was laughing the whole time. I mean, I, I had tears pouring down my face. Uh, uh, and this happened a lot. And what's his reaction when you're laughing? I'm, I'm, right. I'm not, he's not hearing me laugh. Right. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to keep. He thought you were just practicing your facial expressions. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> he's oblivious to his surroundings. So he's a, de- he, 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 he's so denatured that like he's not, if, if he were in a room talking to you 
and a lion came through the door over here. He wouldn't notice the lion. He's, he's just kind of, he's got this kind of tunnel vision about him. So that's helpful. To, that was helpful to me because he just didn't notice me. Well, you tell us on that, just on that, because there's a great story towards the end about Sandor, the, the German dog, that's brought in. Yeah. To, uh, to, well, so they, when, you know, he was the most hated man in the world and maybe still is right now. And when he was released uh, to house arrest in his parents' house on the Stanford campus, it, it's a leafy suburb and the doors don't have locks. And they had a, they had a police force for the first 48 hours, but they couldn't afford the police force in the end. So the police force went away and they brought in Sandor. And Sandor was an actual German shepherd from Germany who'd been trained in German. And <laughs> it was bigger than any German shepherd I've ever seen and longer haired. It was a big, big dog. Terrifying to behold, but actually just sweet all the time unless you triggered it with a German command. Trained to kill on command. On command. So that was what was going to protect Sam. Really? And his parents... Like the boys from Brazil. Yeah, his parents... Yeah, yeah. The parents learned the commands. So whatever you say to get Sandor to leap at someone's throat. And Sam, Sam never bothered. And so there was... I just thought... I was thinking... Whenever I was with Sam, I thought, since you don't know what to say, you don't know what not to say. And and, and, you, and we're in a room with this killer. And I, I just thought, one day Sam's going to say the thing by mistake and the dog's going to eat him. Like that episode of Columbo. <laughs> I don't know the episode. Was someone eaten by their own guard dog? The psychiatrist taught the dog to respond to a word. Oh. And to kill whenever they heard that word. And it was the famous Orson Welles film, as it was called, Rosebud. Mm-hmm. What was the word? You, you didn't watch no, I, I did watch Columbo. In fact, there's a reference to Columbo in the book. Constance is set up as Columbo, yeah. I think. But but no, I didn't know that episode. But he didn't know how. Yeah. Columbo couldn't figure out how the murder had been. Oh. Because the only people in the room are her and the dog. And there's been a phone call from the psychiatrist. It says, could you watch Orson Welles' Citizen Kane? As soon as the word Rosebud is said, that's the what savages her to death. Huh. And Columbo can't figure it out. <laughs> But you, you say it would have been very Sam Bankman freed. You say it would have been very Sam Bankman freed to have been eaten by his own guard dog. You, you know, and and why I what think, a finale to the book that was. <laughs> <laughs> the the end. <laughs> well, it, it was what was very Sam Bankman freed is the consequence he he. The consequences were always virtually the opposite of the ones intended. You know, he is a person who says, in the, from a very young age, a person is their consequences. It's not their intentions. It's not their feelings. A person is the consequences of their life. This very me- mechanistic, utilitarian view of hmm. the world. And then sets out to ma- maximize certain consequences. Ends up having just the opposite. Every, you, you, name a thing that Sam Bankman-Fried wanted to help, and he almost certainly damaged it. Name a thing that Sam Bankman Freeman was maybe taking off against or wanted to hurt, and he almost certainly helped it. It's it's just this this life is a cruel joke for Sam Bankman Freeman. Talk to us a bit about um, his extraordinary attempt to influence the American president. <laughs> if you will. I mean, it's, it's, can I tell you this? Can let me set the scene here because. Uh, he says, I said I w- had wanted to go to, with him to Washington, D.C. just to see the activity there because he, whenever you arrive, you, you could hear the town buzz. And uh, he says, okay, meet me at the Santa Rosa Airport, Northern California. He, was, he had a private plane taking him to 
Washington, D.C. I get there early. He, he tumbles out of the back of this Uber and he's got his shorts and his T-shirt and he's got a, a ball of what looks like, I don't know, cloth in his hand. That, it's a blue suit that's all crumbled up that he's brought because he's told he's having dinner with Mitch McConnell and he's told he needs to wear a suit. And you look at this thing and, it's that, and dinner is in five hours and you look at the suit and it's gonna take weeks to get it straight. You know, it's not gonna work. And, and I sort of said like, all you got is the suit too. Like, you have any shoes? He goes, none of any shoes. You got a belt? No, I don't have a belt. It was just, it was a mess. And because he gets somebody up, had told him just to bring a just suit. just bring a suit and that he, so he just followed that instruction. And he, was pra- <laughs> and he was practicing how he was going to address McConnell because McConnell's very sensitive about not only what people wear with him, but how he's addressed. Just for our listeners, Mitch McConnell is, is the, what was it? The Senate, leader of- Senate leader of the Republicans, an ancient and doddering. And, and his, his, the, apparently you needed to address him as Leader McConnell or Dear Leader, I think. It was, it was like meeting the Queen. No, it's, yeah. And so Sam was practicing this because he knew it wouldn't come naturally. Gets on the plane and he starts telling me first about how, he, McConnell's going to be using his money to manipulate Republican senatorial primaries, which was in and of itself interesting. But then he starts talking about he, the inroads he'd made into Donald Trump's camp. And he's saying that we've discussing with Trump paying him, paying him not to run for president, which on the surface actually makes some makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, and he said the number we're getting back is $5 billion, did not run for president. And of course, some questions naturally arise. And they said one of which had arisen with Sam, like, is this legal? Can you pay, can you bribe <laughs> Can you bribe someone not to run for political office? I don't know. And then he never actually got an answer to that question. His lawyers never really said yes or no. But, but the, the other question is, like, if you pay, if you wire $5 billion to Donald Trump and he gives you a handshake saying, okay, I won't run for president, what do you think is going to happen next? <laughs> it's not, he's going to retire into his golf course. No, he's going to run for president. He's going to have a war chest. And it's uh, a he, wonderful folk call, a perfect. You know, it's thanks for the, thanks for the dough, buddy. Yeah, you're my biggest campaign contributor. And so the whole thing was obviously bonkers. And when he's talking about it, I thought how close to reality was it? Well, this is what I'm thinking. How like how are you is Donald Trump really entertaining this thought? And in the course of this conversation, Sam was also talking about other things they're doing with Trump to influence his effect on American political life. And at that moment, at that moment there was a Republican primary for the Senate for a race for the Senate seat in Missouri. And there were two characters who seemed like they were could win. One was one was named Eric Greitens, and the other was named Eric Schmidt. And what McConnell had done is determined that Eric Greitens was a real Trumper. He was like the election was rigged, overthrow democracy, don't govern. He was he was he was all in with Donald Trump. And Eric Schmidt was just pretending to like Trump because you have to at least pretend in the Republican primary, but that he was a more reasonable character. And the fear was that Trump was going to come out and endorse Eric Greitens, the real Trumper, and that would put him over the top, and the more reasonable Eric would, would lose. And Sam's team cooked up this idea, and they, he, he's telling me on the plane, and passed it to Trump. All you, you don't care who wins. All you care about is that whoever wins has to credit you with the victory. They're both named Eric. Could you just stand up and say, I'm for Eric? And whoever, whichever Eric... 
which Eric's <laughs> it's, it's a freaking brilliant idea, right? And he says, and he says, Sam is saying he's got this internal monologue going. Trump will love this. He all he cares about is the attention. It's going to get all kinds of attention. People think it's funny, and whichever Eric wins, he can say I did that. Two days later, Trump on Trump Social says, I'm for Eric. <laughs> and, and, and so then I thought, this five billion thing, this might be real. I mean, they actually are having some conversation. They're able to plant that idea. And I I I don't know exactly who the conversation was with. If I had to bet it was with Donald Trump Jr. They were Brian Salem, who was the supposed CEO of Sam's crypto business was a personal friend of Donald Trump Jr. And that, that, I think that might have been the connection. Um, that's not in the book, actually. So that's a scoop. But it's, it's like something, right now in Trump camp, they're probably having conversations about, like, what did this guy, fee- what, what, have, what have we done because Sam Bankman fried sort of seeded the idea? That, that Trump will be furious that he's See, like... I, 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 I wasn't aware of the connection between Ryan Salim and... And Donald Jr. Yeah, but um, I'm not sure. Disclosing any secrets that Ryan Salim has since pleaded guilty to campaign finance. uh, Yeah, uh, Yeah. he's lost lost his match. It's it's very portion. He said a detailed body is lost. (laughs) Yeah, portion's much. There was one funny. So Ryan Salem was the one character in the whole drama when you visualize crypto billionaire or crypto bro, he actually was it. Like everybody else was a nerd. They were all math geeks. They they all they all were they all thought they were in principle, you know, polyamorous and could have sex with anybody, but they didn't have sex with anybody. They were all they were just nerds. Ryan Salem like made up for all of it with his behavior. And he was he was he lived for pleasure and did it well. Uh, and there was a detail in the trial doesn't Dude, make him a bad person. No, I actually, no, it doesn't make him a bad person. No, I actually quite like him. I quite like him. You just don't want to be caught with him at two in the morning because whatever you're doing, you'd be surprised. You'd be, your every news is going to get you in, in the newspaper. But he, the, two days ago at the trial, Caroline Ellison, Sam's old girlfriend who was on the witness stand, <laughs> divulged that, I mean, it's complicated why they did this, but they had to set up some fake accounts to, to try to extract some crypto that was locked up in China. And they needed names that weren't associated with them. And Ryan Salem supplied them with a list of names of Thai prostitutes. And they used the names of, of the Thai prostitutes as fronts for their business. Um, so that was Donald Trump Jr.'s friend. It's, it's I mean, you, you, you're right. At the, I mean, just to sort of set out the parameters. And the book, like all your books, hits the ground roll. Um, Tends to what? Drone on? It hits the ground. Rubbing. Oh, I thought you said tends to drone on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> we, want, we want you to come into the podcast for your sequel. <laughs> anyway, you're, you're right. Very quickly. And I think it set the background very quickly because no one really, I mean, new cryptocurrency exchanges at that time, just when Sam Bankman-Fried got into it, were popping up every month to service the growing gambling public. They had all had deep pockets of insatiable demand for young women. This is where you're talking about um, Natalie Tien mm-hmm. being employed with no obvious experience to become the head of PR. Requirements are pretty, 
big boobs. I've done a bit of live streaming. Born in 2000 or later. Good at chit-chatting. That's a job posting. <laughs> that's an actual job posting. I mean, fucking yeah. may, maybe yeah. I'm like, and then you say it inside, you know, you know, excuse me. Sorry. That's an inverted comp. That's an actual job post. Yes, it is. Yeah. You're yeah. fucking good. No, 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 no. That's. You've got to see Michael's face. No, no. Just, so, so I'm enjoying. I tell you why I'm enjoying this conversation. Because I laughed the whole time I wrote this book. And of course, you're not supposed to laugh when you're writing a book about a financial scandal. But the whole thing, it felt like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The whole thing just <laughs> felt so. There was no. No former financial scandal this exactly reminded me of. It, 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 the whole thing is just so bizarre and, and, and funny. Uh, and, and that this is the world there is. So this requirements are pretty big boobs. have done a bit of live streaming. Born in 2000 or later. Good at ch- chatting. Was, was that, where was that? Where did you get that from? Where was it posted as a job requirement? So in the interest of avoiding contentious lawsuits okay. we won't we won't name we the crypto on these cha- however okay. it was in it was in mandarin and uh constance wang who was the ceo of uh of Al- of of ftx yeah. actually still had a copy of the job posting Absolutely. and she she showed it to me and it comes with illustrations they're pictures of women who fit these descriptions and who are wearing low-cut stuff and that th- th- it was a uh, there was a lot of visual with it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's really just like a big, you know, like going into one of the the gambling casinos here, you know, where you're lured and then you know the, the or if you go to Vegas, you know, the girls with the big boobs. No, yeah. but that is they, what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly what it is, except it's in the minds of it's more accessible. Anybody can do it twenty four seven. Sophisticated, you know, it's, mm. it's seen as more sophisticated. Like once on the inside. Natalie was struck by how few of the people who worked in crypto had any idea what it was. And that change was, I mean, you were, you were a Wall Street trader. You were a trader, weren't you? A salesman. Salesman, yeah. I had, I had big boobs. That's <laughs> <laughs> for the listener. He's in tremendous condition, I have to say. He's like, a, he's like Gordon Gecko in, 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 in Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> These hands are deadly weapons. But at, at one point in the book, you... you or, or I think you can maybe explain. It, it looked to me as if you were struggling about how to explain Bitcoin. And what you eventually said was this: you said, "What's curious? I mean, you really this was a very immersive experience mm-hmm. for you with this guy. I mean, you, you had endless. I mean, you seemed to have just complete and full access. But you said you walked into his life basically. Yeah, between, yeah and he just he, and, and like the lion that you talked about, he didn't appear to notice you that you were sitting there writing all the shit, right. <laughs> all the stuff. They do fuck. Say that, did I? <laughs> but what is curious, you wrote, is how elusive Bitcoin is as a thing to understand. It often gets explained, but it somehow never stays explained. And it reminded me of Father Ted's great description. You know, we had one of the great sitcoms ever was Correct. Father Ted. Father Ted's great description of the Catholic Church when he was asked to explain. He said, that's the beautiful, that's the great thing about the Catholic Church. It's so vague. Nobody really knows what it means. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the impression that, that, and I know that, for example, there are many commentators who simply describe Bitcoin as a Ponzi scheme, a giant Ponzi yeah. scheme, you know, from Robert Reich to the Financial Times, for example, very highly respected. Yeah. Uh, but the, the impression that you get at the end of all of this is quite genuinely, and you said yourself, nobody really knows what it is. There are people who know what it is, but most of the people who are trading it don't pay much attention to what it is. That's not why they're doing it. 
that there that the the only the thing that's most important about what it is and what it is is made up money right it's an it's like it's it's digital currency but it's it's a string of digits that is a, that is kept track of by this technology called a blockchain and the blockchain is nothing but a publicly a communally kept ledger database so instead of uh, i don't know there are records that there are records uh, uh, at the bank about which you uh, what money you own uh, that's kept by the bank yeah. right it's kept by the bank the money you own in crypto is not kept by the bank and no institution is kept by a collection of 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 of, of programmers but the the real purpose to the technology so far has been to have a story to tell about why it's not the tulip bubble craze it's like see there's something real here but the real purpose of the thing mainly so far has been to gamble and and that may change. It's possible the technology will emerge and be something important, but right, it's, it's never One been. One simple question. Mm. Can you buy a pint of Guinness with it in Dublin? Can I answer that question with a story? Because this was funny. This is the you, first... You really don't need our permission to say anything. Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> so, done, so, Lewis. so every few years after Bitcoin was invented by Satoshi Nakamoto uh, in 2008, I would get a call from some crypto person saying I had to write a book about crypto. I mean, they're just looking for promotion for crypto. And the first time I answered such a call, was maybe 2012, um, the, call, the guy said, the guy was a you know, re reputable founder of a crypto business. And he said, come down to this house in Palo Alto, California, and you'll meet Satoshi. And nobody knows who Satoshi is. He said, nobody still knows who Satoshi is. And I thought, well, this is worth an hour drive. Um, I get out of the car a half a block from the house and you can smell the weed from a half a block away. <laughs> it's just like, it's coming out almost like it's coming out of the chimney. It's uh, this uh, reek of marijuana smoke. You get, to the, you get to the house and there are 15, 24 year olds with sleeping bags and no furniture. And, and they start selling me on, and there's no sign of Satoshi Nakamoto. And if he was there, I didn't know. And they say to me, uh, it's going to this the thing this thing this Bitcoin is going to replace currency. It's going to replace the dollar, and they say. And I said, well, what what can you buy with it? And they said, um, there already it's only been around four years. There's a coffee shop in Palo Alto where you can buy a cup of coffee. You can buy a cappuccino with Bitcoin, and so I said, let's do it. So one of them downloaded an app and to put some five dollars worth of Bitcoin on my phone, and four of us stumble down to this coffee shop where indeed it says. Bitcoin accepted. I order a cup of coffee and I go to pay. 20 minutes later, they're still fiddling with the, the machines to try to figure out how to make this work. And I thought, I have an idea. And I pull out a $5 bill. And they go, oh, that would be so much better. This would be so, so much. Thanks for not trying to pay with Bitcoin. <laughs> Sam Bankman free wouldn't last long at the Dungiven GA Club. That type of thing. Can I pay with Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know, I said to them then, I said, this all sounds great, you know, you tell a story. But if in some weird world, Bitcoin had been the first currency, and then someone came along and invented the dollar, everyone would go, hallelujah, thank God, this is the best thing, this dollar. Can we have these dollars instead? Uh, now, the funny thing was, because I hadn't spent the $5 of Bitcoin, it just sat on my phone, and I, I didn't think about it for two years. And two years later, I hit the button. It's five hundred and eighty dollars, 
And I went, holy shit. And I sold it as fast as I could. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Now, if I held it, we wouldn't be here. You I'd just be, I'd be off on my, whatever island I would have bought. With the, it. uh, the, um, I want to sort of talk about the, the book not being, you know, sitting out of kilter with your stories because your stories and, you know, I know there have been all sorts of criticisms about accuracy and all that sort of thing, but for me, you're a storyteller, first and foremost. And, you know, when a reader picks up a book, a reader is interested in the story and the tales are tremendous. Can I stop you for one second? So can I, okay. Just let me finish okay. this for a second. So the, 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 uh, the serendipity of, in a way, the huge fraud just coming to light at the end of this whole process, mm. you know, and it reminds me of a great story. You know, I mean, if I, I, I honestly, I can't wait for the sequel because <laughs> you're, you're, I mean, this it, it's going to be special. But it reminds me of a great story. Of a good friend of mine, Paddy Keeley, his father was murdered by the Wallace Terrors, but he's a very high-profile chat show host now. He now hosts a very prestigious late late show, and uh, his father was a referee in Gaelic Games in County Down in the North. You say, and. He was a referee in the Down County final. And there was a huge crowd in at the marshes, you see. The Burren were playing Mayo Bridge. And his father, Jack, was walking in. And the Down County chairman, who'd be sort of the managing director of Down, was walking in beside him. It would be influential at a point. And Jack said to him, Jesus, there's a great crowd in for the final. And the chairman took out a tenor and put it in his pocket and said there'd be an even bigger crowd for the replay. <laughs> 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 I think you must surely be um, already your juices must be flowing about you know a sequel surely you must be thinking of that in light of you know the very very dramatic events and the trial yeah that you don't reach in the book you know yeah, the book is left it, yeah. sort of you know I think that readers are going to be saying hallelujah <laughs> there's going to be a sequel here yeah so I'll tell you a funny story um, that might might be the beginning of the sequel. So the book comes out, whatever it is, 11 days ago, 12 days ago. It'd been embargoed, so no one had read it until 12 days ago. Two days before that, um, the TV program in the United States called 60 Minutes, which is very widely watched, um, aired about the book. And Sam Bankman-Fried, I heard two days later, in jail, had watched the program with his two cellmates and his prison guards. His two cellmates were... <laughs> the former president of Honduras and the former attorney general of Mexico. And at the end of it, his prison guards started to ply him for crypto trading advice. <laughs> and, and, and what an I, opening scene. And I, and I thought, this is the beginning of the next act. It's... <laughs> you would, would, you not, would you not, with your capacity for storytelling, and not your experience with movies, because I mean, so many of your books have become blockbuster movies. I mean, everyone... I would have thought in the world sporting community knows Moneyball. I mean, so many coaches have looked at those ideas. And aside from your book and the movie, a lot of people wouldn't have picked up on those ideas because an academic book about that doesn't really have mm. any particular clout. It's but, a power of story. Yeah, but would you not in this circumstance think about writing the screenplay yourself? For but, the, I mean, is that not something so this that would interest you as a challenge? So this is funny. I have written screenplays, never of my own books. And I have a meeting with Apple who bought the film rights some months ago. 
And, I, and it occurred to me just that they might ask me to do that. And the, pro, the problem with it is it's a different form. If you look at screenplay, it's 8,000 words. This is almost 100,000 words. So are you losing 92 out of 100,000 words? And so that implies some changes to the structure of the thing. And there are many, many ways you could structure this as a film. And it's not that I don't think I couldn't do it at some point, but I think I'm handicapped because I've already made all these decisions about how to do it as a book, and I'm wedded to the way I told the story. And I, someone's going to have to break it and remake it and, and see it in a way I just didn't see it. I, I, and, and so I, I just think I'd be ill-equipped for yeah, this. It's a bit like, you know, the same. You just can't see the wood for the trees eventually when you're so immersed and you've luxuriated in this story. That's right. It's, it's then the idea of sort of the savage editing that will be required. And also it is a very different discipline. It is. But I just thought with someone with your intellect that, you, that, that it might be something that, that, that appealed to you to do that as well. So the other thing is um, the, the people who are upset about the book uh, and mainly, I mean, it's, we'll see. The thing, this is settling out now, but people were upset before the book came out. They, what they thought the book was going to do. So it's a little hard to separate. Their, it's hard to just kind of see exactly what they're upset about, but it's generally the feeling that, like, it's too nice about Sam Bankman-Fried. Well, we can tell from this conversation that it's not entirely just nice about Sam Bankman-Fried, that it's, it's just trying to portray him as he was. But at, at this moment there's a great demand just to turn him into a con- cartoon monster and, and forget about all the things that led him to be successful, why everybody liked him in the first place. And I really set out to like give people the experience of trying to like him a little bit in the first place, like that, get, what it felt like then so that they could understand how it happened. Um, but because I knew the thing was going to come under attack when it came out, uh, I had to be especially careful about like not having mistakes in the book because they get blown up. There's still mistakes in the book. I found out that LeBron James didn't in fact endorse FTX. He endorsed crypto.com. So I had, I've, I've, I've slandered LeBron James. I apologize. I don't think it matters that much, but I've taken it. I fixed that. So there, there are always a couple of things like that. Um, but because my mindset was it's got to be true. I can't have stuff that's wrong. It's not the best mindset for creating the movie. That, that the, the movie has to make a little bit of a jump and it would probably have to fictionalize some stuff. And I, I'm just not, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'll be able to do it well. I think that, that I'd be, there'd be something in my mind that would make it resi- me resistant to it because I've had engaged in this exercise. So I, don't, I, 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 won't do, I won't write the screenplay. Someone else will. And it will be, it will be great. It will be great. Uh, It's such a story. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else custom spray five and one only from rustolium 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Michael, you dedicate the book to your daughter. Um, and you said that you actually shared a car journey with Sam's parents. Uh, where you, you you gave them some advice based on your own experience, which was very moving to me when you said, you'll be amazed at how adaptable you are. You'll be shocked at your by the ability of your mind to adjust to the circumstances and continue on. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me, talk to us about how that did shock you, that ability to survive the death you, of my daughter? Yeah. Um, well, it was an inconceivable, you know, anybody who has children, uh, and we have three, um, lives in dread or fear, terror of something happening to them, right? And I just, uh, I have been so blessed my whole life. I've been so lucky. Nothing really bad ever happened. And then then Dixie is killed in a car accident two and a half years ago. Um, and the, my first response, it was, it was instantaneous, was I know this is, this is trauma. Like I, this is, um, it's, it's so m- mentally and emotionally disruptive, I don't know quite what to make of it. Um, at the same time, I knew that, that my mind was going to start to figure out a story to tell that would allow me to assimilate this into my life and not be crushed by it. Um, and Because I'm a storyteller. And how you, I've always thought that how you tell your story has a huge effect on how you live your life. That it isn't that your how you live your life determines the story, that the story determines the life. And so I would have to go to work to tell a story about how I was gonna make this work and take this bad thing and, and try to make the most of the situation. And this book is, a, is one little example. So um, I, I probably am gonna be quoted on this and regret it, but I'm gonna say it. It's the bravest book I ever wrote. I knew I was going to be attacked roundly. It was, you know, I didn't write this not knowing what was going to happen. I knew there was a, a lynch mob out there waiting, you know, aimed at Sam Bankman Freed, maybe not unjust, unjustifiably. Lynch mobs don't always pick the wrong target, target, but lynch mobs are ugly things. And if you stand up and say anything to the lynch mob when they're on their way to their target, they, they target you. Dixie Lee Lewis was exactly the sort of person who would stand up to a lynch mob and did. I've actually told stories about her doing this. She was unbelievably brave. And I thought, well, this book is going to be partly a tribute to her. 
because I'm going to internalize her. I'm going to take that strength she had, and I'm going to use it in this case to say what I think is true. Uh, and, um, and, and know that's why I did it. So what is it? What am I doing? I'm keeping her around. That, that's what I'm doing in my story about her and about the event. And then I'm sort of finding ways to work her into my life as I live it. So she's still there. Uh, and Sam's parents, I'll tell you something else that is, was kind of odd. Um, the first time I met them, uh, it was in the Bahamas. And they're actually delightful people. And the, the, the way they've been treated in the press is just amazing to me. But, they're, but anyway, they, they are but complicated people. They're intellectuals, not really of the real world. And I go to dinner at their house. And Sam's mom, Barbara, is tossing a salad. They're in that fancy house he gave them. No furniture. They didn't care about where they were. But anyway, she's ta- and I was just making polite chit-chat. And I said, what are you working on? Because she was saying that she was backing away a bit from teaching law. And she said, I'm writing a novel. And I said, what's it about? And she said, it's about a parent who loses a child. And I said, well, I've just lost a child. And it stopped her in her tracks. And she didn't know what to say. And ruin the evening for her. And I didn't mean to do that. But flash forward um, a year and a bit, and we're getting in that car to drive to go visit him for the first time in the Bahamas prison. Um, and she turns to me and she says, what do you have to say about this situation? And I can hear, hear, hear between the lines, I'm losing a child. You've lost a child. I was only writing a book about losing a child. And the first thing I said was not helpful. And she actually said, I can't remember what the, even what the first thing I said was. It was like, oh, maybe it'll all get better. And, and she, that, she said, that's not helpful. And I said, well, actually, the truth is, you'll be amazed how adaptable you are. I'm going, I'm moving forward, you know. And she looked at me and she said, that does help. I'm not sure she would agree with me now. I, I, I'm watching Sam's parents, especially the mom, and I don't know they're going to survive this. It's just, it's just, it's, she has not been able to find a, a narrative through this. She's resisted it. You know, you see it. You see, you see her say, when she's asked, uh, has Sam, have you talked to Sam about what happened? And she says, I don't need to. I know he didn't do anything wrong. So it's a, it's a denial. It's a push away. You can't do that. You have to, you have, I think you have to accept. You have to say, yes, this is true. When it, and, and, and I'm going to do something with that. Yes, it's true. Dixie Lee Lewis was killed in the car crash and I can't do anything about it, but then what, you know? And, um, so I don't know. It's, uh, everybody, everybody processes these things in a different way. So this is the other thing that I won't, I won't go on forever about this, but the other thing that instantly, almost instantly occurred to me, uh, within days of Dixie's death, um, it was that I was going to, that the various things people were telling me very quickly about how I was going to, what I was experiencing, letters from parents who had lost children, giving me advice, books about grief, everything I looked at made no sense to me. And there's sometimes there were very specifically things wrong with them. Like a lot of people were saying, you're going to feel guilty for the rest of your life. And it didn't, it didn't even ever occur to me to feel guilty. There was no guilt around the event. I, I, it, it was a beautiful relationship. She was a beautiful child. I was a great dad to her. 
I loved her. She loved me. She had a great life as long as it lasted. And there was nothing I could have done to stop what happened. Uh, and I thought, well, there probably are circumstances where you do feel guilty. And these people had those circumstances in their experience, and they just thought that was universal. And I realized that this experience, it's actually not exactly universal. Loss, the feeling of loss is universal. Everybody will experience it. No one's gonna dodge this bullet in their lives. But the particulars of the experience, how, they how you feel about it is gonna turn on what your relationship was, how the, how the person was lost, how the person died, who you are, how you tell your story. And I realized that I was facing a jungle and to get through that jungle, uh, there was one path and it was my path. There wasn't a path someone had cleared before me by writing a book about grief. There wasn't a path someone could lead me to because they had experienced the loss of a child that I had to pick my way with a machete through this jungle by myself and find the best path. And it was an individual sport and no one could help me. And that was liberating. It was like, this is gonna be m my story about Dixie and me. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to figure it out. And that somehow freed me up to like move forward. Like, and uh, some people, when I said this, some people have been sort of, offended is the wrong word, but concerned. Like, don't we have a community of people who share a loss and you can derive strength from that? I think yes, sort of. I, I, think, I think more generally, you really have to, you have to live it yourself. It's a, it's like a, it's a, it's a very personal experience and you have to, you have to put the words to it yourself.